If your faith in Christ is not leading you to live a lifestyle of devotion to Jesus, then you're in danger. It's a message that America needs to hear today. everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Thank you for joining us today in this beautiful day, another day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it, the Bible says. We should rejoice and be glad in the new day that the Lord has given us because we're not guaranteed one day, amen? amen. We could die any day. We never know the day of our departure from this planet. We never, ever, ever know. So because we never know what day we're going to die, we have to be thankful for the days that we get. There's a psalmist that said, Lord, teach me to number my days. And why he said that? He said that because teach me to number my days. Teach me to help, help me to... Help me to know how many days, how my days are so few that I would be able to, you know, cherish them and enjoy them. So praise be to God. Again, I want to welcome everybody in the room, that, in our little church building here, and, and I want to welcome everybody online. Welcome everybody on, from SoundCloud or iTunes or wherever you're podcasting in from, wherever you're coming from. Welcome, Gospel Saving Church. We've been a church just a little over a year, and uh, we thanks. We give our thanks to God for giving us the strength to do this work for Him. So, we're also, um, pretty soon, we just, uh, me and one of my fellow brothers in the church got together and we made a beautiful new pulpit for the church, and it's going to be finished very soon, and we're going to be starting to start recording. So actually, we're going to start uh, going on YouTube. We're going to start recording the services and be on YouTube, so that you can not only hear me audibly, but you'll be able to see me if you'd like to watch us and look at me if you want to. I don't know if you want to, but if you want to, there I'll be, and we're going to have our own YouTube channel. And So praise be to God, you guys can be looking for that pretty soon, and I'll make the announcement once we're fully online and once we're fully going there. So praise be to God. Let's pray and get our service started today, and uh, let's ask the Lord to bless the message and bless the service and bless our time here, Lord. We thank you. For this day, Lord, we thank you for bringing us here, Lord. We thank you for the words that you've given me. 
We thank you, Lord God, for your message. <clears throat> we thank you, Lord God, that you're always reaching out to people. Your person, your man, Lord, we thank you that you're so concerned with us and you're so watchful of us and you're so <clears throat> you're constantly looking at us and you know every hair in our heads, Lord, and you know you know who we are and what we're about and you know how tall we are, how big we are, how small we are, or how much faith we have, or how little faith we have, Lord. You know everything about us, Lord. We <clears throat> thank you that you're you said in your word, wherever two or more are gathered in your name, you should be there. And Lord Jesus, we're gathered in your name here today. So Lord, we know that you're here with us because we know that your promises are sure. We know that your promises are right, Lord. So bless you and praise you and thank you. Bless the message and bless our time here. May we be fed and may we be encouraged, Lord, and may we be, Lord, chastened, whatever needs to happen, Lord. May repentance happen, Lord. I pray whatever's supposed to happen would happen, Lord God, and we'd be able to hear and receive what you have to say to us, Lord, and, and act on it. Lord. We love you and we praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So, if you guys want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, we're going to be in verses 19 through 24 today. Matthew chapter 11, verses 19 through 24. And I'm going to read them. <clears throat> part of one of them anyway, and the rest of them, and then we'll go and we're going to start to study. Matthew 11, end of 19. But wisdom is justified by her children. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Oof. But I say to you that it should be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Now you may be saying to yourself, Pastor Ed, did we not study last week verse 19 in last week's message? And I would tell you that, yes, we did. But if you didn't notice or if you did notice, I did not teach on the last part of verse 19 of Matthew chapter 11. But wisdom is justified by her children. I didn't say anything about it. I, I read it over and the way the Lord led, I read all, you know, taught on the things, the points that God led me to. But I did not really emphasize or did not really point out or read or teach on too much at all, really. But wisdom is justified by our children. See, and there we have one of those verses that really people can really do a lot with, you know, because it really doesn't even really fit seemingly contextually into what Jesus was talking about. There's an idea before it. The son of man came eating and drinking and uh, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified for our children. I mean, if we 
look biblically at the word wisdom, you know, you know, wisdom is, it means this, you know, some places, but it means this and other places in the Bible. But what does it mean here? Because just because it says, but wisdom is justified by our children. What is God saying to us? And I did not teach it because there was a reason why I did not teach it. I didn't teach it because I wasn't sure what it meant. And I will not teach something. I will not teach you something if I am absolutely 100% positively sure of what it absolutely means. I'm not going to give you my opinion. And if I do, I'll say, well, this is what I think it means. But don't take it to the bank because, you know, I'm not just not sure. But I'd really rather not teach anything. I just absolutely don't know what it means. So as I started my message this week, I spent probably, I think it was the whole first day setting up my message just on this one sentence of verse 19. And, and I believe that God has given me the wisdom to teach this verse and to teach this little section. I think I've gotten the revelation. Again, but wisdom is justified by her children. What does it mean? There's several things that God showed me to help me understand this saying, and they are. There's four words that are key here. The words but, the word wisdom, the word justified, and the word children are very key. We're going to look at their meanings, and we're going to look at how they all come together. First off, let's start with the word but. If you guys remember, I'm big on the word but because it's a conjunctive word. It means that it combines an idea or a thought before with another saying or with the saying that is being said with the word but, after the word but. So the word but joins verse 19 with the previous idea of what Jesus just said. What was the previous idea? Verses 18 and 19. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That idea was the one before the but. So then that but would join with, it joined to that idea to wisdom is justified by her children. So the three other words, look at them. The word wisdom biblically, Strong's Concordance says it's the broad, full of intelligence, used of the knowledge of very diverse matters and the wisdom that belongs to man. That's key. You, <clears throat> the word justify means to render or believe to be righteous. Or in other words, you make it right. It's you are justifying something. People justify in America, people justify their sin. And, you know, they claim all kinds of titles for themselves, but people justify their sinful lifestyles by saying, oh, well, you know, I just, I had to commit that sin because of this. And they justify it. They make it right. That's the word here, justify, to make it right. The word children simply means offspring or children. So the word but brings the idea of the companions together what Jesus said here, but wisdom is justified by our children. The word but is talking about 
their sayings toward Jesus, and then the new idea. We put it together, and it sounds a little like this. The knowledge of Jesus and John being evil, because that's our wisdom, that's our idea, that's our knowledge. The knowledge of Jesus and John being evil has been justified or been made right <clears throat> or become the truth of the companions or the offspring, those which believed it. You see, the Pharisees and the, tech, and the, and the sinners, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, excuse me, thought these negative things about Jesus. That was their knowledge. They justified it, made it true, by, because they were the children of the idea. They were the ones that basically made that idea. That's how we bring it all together. Jesus is not saying, notice here, Jesus is not saying that the wisdom that these are justifying, these guys are justifying, is correct wisdom. He just said that it was their knowledge or belief. And you know, today in this world, people have many. People have correct knowledge and beliefs, and they have false knowledge and beliefs. Many people have false beliefs about the Bible, about God. Many people have correct beliefs about God. Generally, whatever knowledge or belief someone has, they will believe it's correct. They will believe it's true. <clears throat> Mormons believe, because they were raised up in the Mormon church, that what they were taught was true. Jehovah Witnesses believe, have a knowledge of that religion, and they believe, because they were taught up, that that was true. If I, as a parent, would you know, have a child today, and I taught him his whole life that the color black was white, and I didn't show him any of the proof on that, but if I told him you know, that color black is white, then that child would grow up thinking that that color black was really the color white. And then later on in his life, he would learn that that black wasn't really called white. It was really called black, but it would take much proof to show him. And people you know, would have to, hey, look, no, 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 this is white and this is black. They'd have to go to the dictionary. They'd have to go online. They'd have to prove it to him that it was not white, but really black. The religious leaders... Belief about Jesus caused them to put him to death. Because, look, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They rejected him being Messiah, but then they looked at all of his claims and said, oh, he's, a, he's, he's lying. He's, he's not telling the truth. He's really not Messiah. He's not the Christ. He's not God in the flesh. So this, in essence, their knowledge of him caused them to put him to death. Was their belief about John and Jesus Christ correct? Absolutely not. Their knowledge was false. They lived in a lie. They were lying to themselves. They didn't believe that he was the Christ, the Messiah. So they said it's not true, but they were wrong. Yes, that's right. Somebody can believe something that's simply not right. It's true to them, but it's not an ultimate truth like gravity. It's not an ultimate truth like there is a God, there is a God, there is a creator, there is a divine maker. Look at the universe, look at the stars. There is, that's an ultimate truth. God is an ultimate truth. Gravity is an ultimate truth. So their truth about John and Jesus 
was not correct. It was a lie. It was a, they lived a lie. It was a false truth. But you see, biblical godly wisdom is not made right or justified just because God's children believe it because that's not how we gauge truth. Truth is not, well, because I believe it, it makes it true. Simply, you know, well, because I have that belief that it's an ultimate truth. I hope everybody gets that point because that's such a point in America that people just don't get. Well, because if I believe it doesn't necessarily make it true, people think, well, because I have a belief, oh, it's absolutely, it's dead on. It's real truth. But biblical godly wisdom is not made righteous because I believe it. Just because you believe it, just because every Christian in the world believes it, because there's billions of people all over the world that are living with false false beliefs and they believe they're right but guess what they're wrong they're wrong there's no proof that backs up their truth godly wisdom is justified or made right by facts and solid proof or you would say evidence not just because christians say it's right you've got in this world today just to name a few you have Muslims, which is the religion of Islam, and there's one billion people that are in that religion, roughly. Hinduism, which is an uh, Indian religion. People from India believe in that, mostly. And that's people there around 900 million. You have Buddhism, comes in around 360 million people. And Judaism has around 15 million people of the lowest. And then Christianity, of what really the world thinks of Christianity, which they group anybody that even believes, says they have a belief in Jesus at all as, you know, the Messiah is, is uh, right, around, uh, right around 2 billion. But we know that's not true because not everybody that, not every uh, one of the so-called religions that says they hold Jesus is really a Christian religion. They even, they even uh, grouped Mormonism in there and, and, uh, and Jehovah Witness in there and they would even probably consider their Church of Scientology in there. And so that's not true. So that two billion is very skewed. But out of, the, out of all those religions that I just talked about, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Judaism, you have all those people that absolutely believe that they are right on the money, that they're 100% true and sure of what they believe. Now you've got almost, well, a little over two billion people in this world today are like two and a half billion people in this world today that just believe these four other religions that are dead wrong. And yes, if you're listening to me online, yes, these other people and these other religions are dead wrong. And how can I say that? How can I say that they're dead wrong? Is because here's why. They have no proof. They have no sustenance in their religion that proves it true. All of it, it just is. And they just worship it and you know, most of them, like Islam and Buddhism and, and those religions, they're really just one guy stood up and said, hey, this is the truth, and here you go, believe it. And people just started believing it, and there they went. Some guy just rose up for Mormonism, and some one guy just came up for, you know, for Jehovah Witnesses, and they just said, hey, here's my truth. Hey, this is what I believe about God. Believe. And then hundreds and thousands and Tens of thousands and millions, and as we see here, over a billion people just started believing it. But there's no proof behind their religion that tells them that that's really true. We know Christianity is the one faith in the whole world that is correct. Why? 
It's why? Because we know it's correct because of the Bible. He said, oh, but Pastor Ed, the Bible, it's got this, it's got that. No, what it does have, the Bible we know is correct because it has aspects of archaeology, history, and prophecy that can be proven. They can be found. Prophecy has been fulfilled, is being fulfilled. Something that God said was going to happen hundreds and thousands of years ago that's still happening today or it's happened already. History, we have the history of the people of the Bible, that they're still peoples of the Bible. We can go back and look in secular, which is non-Christian history, and we can see the same history from a Christian perspective or a Jewish perspective as we can from a secular perspective. We have that history that testifies that the Bible is true. We have uh, archaeology. We have all these sites all over the Middle East, all over Israel, all over Jerusalem, all in that land over there, that great Middle East land over there where people dig up Things that the Bible said happened, and they find things that the Bible said happened, they see them, they find them, they find the ancient ruins of the cities that the Bible said that it had. They find the ancient battles that the Bible said took place, they find where those places were. They find ancient temples, ancient synagogues, they find all this stuff that backs up and proves what the Bible wrote for thousands of years is actually, was, is actually there. No other book in the world... Amen. Homer's Iliad or the Odyssey. None of these books, none of these ancient writings have any proof or backing behind them at all. None at all. At all, at all, at all. Judaism, the only reason it's wrong is because they just don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. As a whole, that religion is the basis of Christianity. Judaism is the basis of Christianity. But it's not complete because they don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And Jesus Christ fulfilled Judaism and made it Christianity or to be a follower of Christ or Christianity or Christianity. This could be a whole sermon on its own, but we're going to move on. I just wanted to make that point. But wisdom is justified by our children doesn't mean anything good. It means that people justify their own knowledge and their own wisdom and make it true. And But that is not godly and that's not biblical and it's not even accurate wisdom just be careful what you believe jesus all over the time said be careful how you hear be careful what you're hearing be careful with what ears you're hearing because whatever truth you believe is not necessarily right well praise god for the truth of his word and that it can be proven amen and praise god for the wisdom and the knowledge that he gave us on this last verse or last uh, sentence of verse 19. So uh, let's get, uh, I love getting deep into the word. I love digging in and digging out all the nuggets of God's word and digging them up and looking at them and examining under a microscope. And you know, God's word is so deep that we can do that. It's not shallow and it's, it has no, it, it doesn't, or it has no sustenance. It's, it's deep and it's rich and it's, it's so powerful and that we could even look at stuff like that and, and dig around and, and see the truths of those. So, moving on, verse 20 on down. So last week, we remember we looked at the it is like teachings of Christ against the Pharisees and the religious leaders. By the way, the title of our sermon today is The Danger of Rejecting Jesus. The Danger of of rejecting Jesus. And we get that from our texts of verses 20 through 24, and we're going to see the dangers, a danger of rejecting 
Jesus. So, we had this teaching against the religious leaders. Remember, they had no excuse not to believe. None at all. They were the teachers of the law. They were the teachers of the prophets. They knew all the wisdom that they had to know. They knew what the Messiah was going to look like when he came. They knew the things that the Messiah was going to do when he came. He even would say things and do things that were supposed to point them back to the ancient writings, to the ancient prophecies of the Old Testament, of their Tanakh, of their Jewish Bible, to see, they, you know, he said things and did things to make them go back so that they could read and see that he was a fulfillment, that he was doing the things that the Messiah or the Christ was supposed to do. Now, we're not going to get off on them again. That was last week. But they failed miserably as we read last week. Jesus said, remember, the Son of Man came doing this. We, we called out to you. We played the flute for you. You did not dance. We mourned to you. You did not lament. We tried all these things to get your attention. <clears throat> I did all these miracles, leaders, religious Pharisees, to show you, hey, I'm the one. Hey, wake up. I'm the one. But you just didn't believe. You just refused. You turned your heart. You hardened your heart. And you said, I refuse to believe who you are. Enough about them. That was last week. Now we get to look at, unfortunately, the rebuke of the masses of people that were in the Galilee region of Israel at the time Jesus came. Because up to this point in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus had primarily done a lot of his tremendous works in the regions of Galilee. And we're going to look at the cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, because they were three cities in, in the region of Galilee that Jesus did a majority, a tremendous amount of his awesome, powerful works in these cities. Read verse 20 with me again. Jesus says, Then he began, or then the Bible says, Then he, Jesus, began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. What is the definition of the word rebuke? The word rebuke definition is to express sharp, stern disapproval of, <clears throat> reprove, or to reprimand. So that's the word rebuke, biblically. So Jesus starts in verse 20, rebuking or voicing his sharp disapproval of all the peoples of the cities that he'd gone through and did all his mighty works because they did not repent even though they saw all the mighty works that he did. Now, you may be saying, well, pastor, right in their defense. And if you know this, you know this. If you don't, you don't. I'll tell you now. Really, the Jewish leaders, the, 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 they, they were the one that had access to the scrolls. They could have studied the scrolls. Many of them, like a Pharisee, like Paul's Pharisee, they knew the books of the Bible. They had even memorized the books of the Bible. And you'd say, well, Pastor, these people in the regions of Galilee, they didn't have that access to that. They didn't have all that knowledge like that. They weren't studiers of the scriptures like that. How, how could they have done? Why, why was Jesus so harsh on them? Again, we go back to Jesus, a lot, many of the miracles that he did, he did one-of-a-kind one of miracles. He did powerful one-of-a-kind miracles. Uh, nobody had ever before Jesus ever uh, given a blind man back his sight, but Jesus did. Now, there were several prophets in the Old Testament that raised up a dead person, and Jesus, but Jesus made that like 
you know, if you ever have a package of M&M's, eating a pack of M&M's, pack of M&M's he, rose, he rose dead people to life like I eat a package of M&M's. It was nothing. It's like you taking a breath. Oh, dead person, raise up. You're good, you're good, let's go. He did things that were not, no sweat off his brow, easy breezy, way to go. I mean, just powerful, just moving on, just, just nothing to him, right? That's what he did. That's the kind of works that he did. And all the peoples in the region of Galilee, they saw these mighty and powerful works that Jesus did. And he did, he, re, he was rebuking them because he had done most of his mighty works in them, but they did not repent or submit to the fact that he was the Messiah or the Christ of God. They just refused to believe, even though they had all these mighty, even some one-of-a-kind powerful miracles that they saw, they still didn't repent. They still didn't believe, even though they had all that proof and evidence that was right then and there, right now, being done in front of them, they still did not believe. The mighty works that Jesus did would have been way more evidence than anybody would have ever needed to believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He gave them plenty of evidence, plenty of proof to say, hey, I'm the one, believe in me. And he did them openly. That's the other thing. He did them openly. He didn't hide them. He didn't make them discreet. He didn't do them, you know, only in one room. He did them where everybody could see them. And as we've been talking about up to this point, you can go on back and listen to my other sermons. Remember, the masses, the multitudes of people were always around Jesus. He hardly couldn't do things without the masses of peoples around him. So that these miracles that Jesus did should have given the Jewish people of Jesus' day the hint that he was the Christ. What kind of miracles did he do? What kind of powerful, miraculous works did Jesus do? And all I can say to that is we're going to look at a few, but wow, where could we start? Where could we start? Do you want to go back to Matthew 4, 23 through 25? And we'll be in Matthew 8. And we're just going to look at some of the miracles. You know, you can say, well, why was Jesus so hard? Why did he rebuke him so badly? Why was he so harsh toward him? Well, let's look at the things that Jesus did glance over and just see what they had to look at. And picture yourself back then. Picture something like that happening to you right now. So you seeing that right now. Matthew 4, 23 through 25. And Jesus went about all Galilee. Remember, these three cities that he was rebuking are all in Galilee. Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum are all Galilean cities. So Jesus went about all of Galilee. Notice the Bible is specific to say that. Teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria. So what the Bible is saying there is not only did he do powerful works enough to make the Jewish people believe, but his powerful works were, were not only just even showing the Jews that he was doing powerful works, but his, his powerful works were showing the people that were in an opposite pagan land, the land of Syria, which is not even Israel. His powerful works, their message of them, the power of them, the message of them was not even hitting the land of Israel, not even hitting the land of Galilee. They were hitting the land of Syria. And they, which would be probably Syrians and Jewish, and they brought to him all sick people 
who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed them. Remember what I just said. He did them all in front of everybody. Great multitudes followed them. From Galilee and from Decapolis, from Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Those are not all Israeli. Galilee is. Decapolis was not. Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Decapolis was a, a region of, uh, I think it was, I believe it was a region of 10 cities of Syria. Okay? So all these people, these masses of people from all over, not only Galilee, but from Jerusalem and Judea, beyond the Jordan, and even from pagan cities. They were all following him. They were all watching him, and they were all seeing him do these powerful things that he was doing for God. So seeing all these multitudes in between uh, in here, at, at, seeing all these multitudes as he went around, Jesus goes up on his mountain. He teaches his famous Sermon on the Mount, which takes us to, I think it's two or three chapters of the book of Matthew. And then we come to verse or chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. When Jesus had come down from that mountain, great multitudes followed him, still following him, you could even say. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy was cleansed. All the multitudes, remember this is the mountain in Galilee, saw Jesus heal this leper. Nobody had ever, right then and there, healed a leper. We have Elijah telling Naaman, the commander of the army of Syria, to go dip in the Jordan and his leprosy would be gone. But nobody outside of Miriam with Moses and, you know, back way back in Moses' day, nobody just said, hey, your leprosy's clean and boom, it's gone. This was amazing. This was powerful. And the multitude saw it. Eight, Matthew 8, 16 and 17. When evening had now come, they brought to him many, he's still in Galilee, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word. Wow. All the multitudes got to see Jesus cast out spirits with a word. Just a word. Be gone. Get out. Shut up, demon. Whatever, just one thing. Get out. You're done. Boom. And they're gone. And he healed all who were sick. Not some, not one here, not one there. In the land of Galilee, multitudes followed him. He healed all that were sick. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, remember I told you he did things that were supposed to direct the people that were watching them back to the Old Testament, back to their Bible, to see, is this the one? Is this, is this the Christ? Because, wow, he's a mighty, powerful miracle worker. That it might be fulfilled, Matthew throws it in by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So he was pointing them back to the fact that the Messiah would come and be a healer and be a powerful healer and what he did. And this is exactly what Jesus did in his ministry. Now, these were just a few instances we read of. Remember, the Bible and the Gospel of John tells us the very end of Gospel of John says that if all the things were written that Jesus did, every book in the world couldn't contain the things that he did. These were just a few of the instances that we have biblically recorded where Jesus did these amazing and awesome miracles. In the Gospels, in the four Gospels, we don't have every minute of his life recorded. 
We don't have every moment. There were probably things in between all these things happening. We found before in the past, before we see where between one verse and another, there was 15 years. So it's powerful. There's so much more that he did. These were just a few. And according to what Jesus said here, remember, verse 20, then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works have been done because they did not repent. So even though they saw all those awesome, powerful, powerful works of God, they still did not repent. They still did not change their thinking and say, no, this must be him. And they still did not follow him. But unfortunately, comes because of that, because that's a sin. Rejecting Jesus is a sin. And sin has consequence. Has anybody that's listening to this message or ever listened to this message will, will know personally, sin has a consequence. If you do drugs, you're going to become addicted to drugs and you can overdose and die from that. If you drink alcohol, you can drink too much and even kill yourself that way or become addicted and become an alcoholic. And these are all things of sin and you can become addicted and have terrible things happen to you in your life because of these addictions and lose your families and so on and so forth. And that's sin. Sin has consequence. Well, rejecting Jesus is a sin and that sin of rejecting Jesus has a consequence. What is that consequence? What do we see here? Verse 21. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So what did Jesus just do there? Jesus just compared two foreign pagan cities of Lebanon to two Jewish cities of the region of Galilee who were supposed to be the worshipers of the one true God of all the universe and being ready for the Christ to come. Instead, he likens them to, he, he, he slaps them down and says, if the mighty works have been done in these pagan cities who worship false gods like Baal and Ashtaroth, if these False cities would have seen the things that I did. Even they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So these foreign pagan cities full of worshipers of false gods would have repented if they would have seen the things that Jesus Christ did. Tyre and Sidon are 20 to 12 miles on the border, on the Israeli and Lebanon border. Okay, so they were not Jewish lands. He says, if those mighty works would have been, which would have been done in you, then they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. What is sackcloth and ashes? People would generally wear the special fabric called sackcloth. And they'd put ashes on themselves if they were in mourning for their sin. Was one of the reasons that they did. And they put sackcloth and ashes on because they were mourning because of their sinful 
ways because they saw that they were sinners before God. They would stop living in sin and to show God their earnesty, their, their, their sincerity for their sin, they would put on sackcloth and they would put on ashes to show God that they were for real, that they were really serious about their repentance. It was a, it was a sign of repentance. He says, if the mighty works had been done in these pagan lands, even the peoples of those lands would have repented. Huge slap in the face. These people of Israel would have considered themselves the chosen and elected people and race of God. The Jewish people would have looked down on the pagan cities that were all around them. Well, they don't worship the one true God. They're false people. They, they believe in false gods. And that Jesus says to them, if the mighty works would have been done, they would have repented, but you did not. So what happens? What's the result of sin in the rejection of Jesus? What is the danger? What is the you know, penalty for sin, you say? But I say to you, verse 22, Jesus says, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. So not only, not only did he slap him down with that idea of the fact that they would have repented, but you didn't. He also then says, it'll be better for them in the day of judgment than it'll be for you. So in the day of judgment, the actual danger of rejecting Jesus, because it has a penalty, God will pour out his wrath on the day of judgment on you for your sins at what Revelation 20 calls the great white throne judgment. We'll focus on that at the end of our sermon. So here Jesus says again that the two foreign pagan cities who worship false God will get a judgment that is not as harsh as those that saw the really powerful works of Christ Jesus and still did not repent and believe. This even again would have been and was a huge slap in the face to these people considering themselves the chosen people of God. Now, important note, don't think, well, wait a minute. It'll be worse for you in the day of judgment than, you know, than for them. It, Jesus did not say that they would not be judged because they, they were not worshipers of the one true God. They will be judged and their condemnation will be just. I believe you, me. Their condemnation will be just. Jesus was just making a comparison to the fact that those of you who saw, you have really no, you have, you have totally no excuse. These people didn't see a thing, but if they would have, if they would have seen the things that I did, they would have said, oh, Lord God, forgive us. And they would have repented, Jesus said, in sackcloth and ashes. The most sincere form of repentance Falling down, sitting down, sackcloth, ashes, mourning for their sin. This, is, this would have been a huge, huge slap in the face. So anybody that rejects God of the Old Testament or anybody that rejects Christ Jesus of the New Testament will be judged. But notice in that day of judgment, in that great white throne judgment, there will be worse judgments and there will be lesser judgments. It's all judgment. Some will be less. Some will be more. 
Moving on to verse 23. He says, And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. So he says, And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, they, because I'm a child of God, I'm, I'm Jewish, they'll be exalted to heaven is what they thought. They were so prideful that they thought, well, because I'm God's chosen people, man, I got it in with God. Jesus discussed that to some religious leaders. We got a discussion of that in, in the book of John, in the Gospel of John, where Jesus is talking to them, where he says, don't you know that God can raise up children from these rocks? But you, you know, you, because they were rejecting him. So these people of Capernaum, who were exalted to heaven as they thought, which was pride, because they weren't, because Jesus says they're wrong, will be brought down to Hades. So Jesus said, I know you think you're okay with God. I know you think you got an in and okay with God and you're tight with God and you're a child of God, but guess what? You're wrong because you're going to be brought down to Hades. You'll be brought down to hell. Why? Because they refuse to repent and believe in him as Lord and Messiah. So he goes on to slam again the peoples of the city of Capernaum. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. This was a bigger slam. This was a bigger rebuke than the last rebuke against Chorazin and against Bethsaida. Why would, why, why would I say that? Why would we say that this is a bigger rebuke than the one against Chorazin and Bethsaida? Well, in case you didn't know, Sodom was, if not, was one of the, the land of Sodom, which included Gomorrah, if that brings your mind back to the picture in the Bible, Sodom and Gomorrah were, if not the, one of the most degradate cities in all the ancient world. They were so degradate. They were so evil. They were so sinful that God ended up destroying these cities, this land, with fire and brimstone from heaven. That was the ancient land of Sodom. Wow. This was a huge slam. God ended up destroying this whole land of Sodom. They were sexually immoral. They were evil. They were horrible, horrible, horrible people. And for their evil, for their sin, God wiped them completely out. We find that in the Old Testament where this, the account of where God went in and sent angels in to get Lot, the one righteous man in the whole land. There was one righteous man and God had a little debate with Abraham as God was telling Abraham what he was going to do. And Abraham started out with a high number, something like 50. Lord, if you, God told Abraham what I'm going to do. And, and Abraham said, but God, if you find 50 righteous, I believe it was 50. I could be wrong. If you even just find 50 people. Now think of a whole land. Think of like, let's say the whole land of Texas. The whole state size of Texas. 
I don't know how many millions of people are in the whole state of Texas, but I'm sure that there's a lot. And for me to come to God, if God were to come to me and say, Ed, I'm about to destroy the whole land of Texas because of their evil and their sin has come up before me and I'm going to wipe it all out. I'm going to destroy it. If I came to God, I said, Lord, please, Lord, please, if you just find 50 righteous among millions of people, I think I'd have a pretty good shot. I think I would have a pretty good shot before God to get God not to destroy the land of Texas. Just asking God for 50. God, if you just find 50 righteous among, you know, whatever there is, 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 million people here live in Texas. If you just find 50 righteous people, will you just not destroy it? God says, if I find 50 righteous in the land, because God is righteous, I won't destroy it. Well, if you know the account very well, you can go back and look at it. God, Abraham breaks God down all the way down to 10. Five or 10. God, if you just find five or 10 righteous among those, probably in that time, it was probably hundreds of thousands was the you know, area that the population of Sodom and Gomorrah, maybe more, there may have been a million or so, big land. If you just find five or 10 righteous, dear God, would you please not destroy the land? And God says, you know what? If I even find five or 10 righteous in the land, I won't destroy it. Well, to know the end, like I already told you, God didn't even find 10 righteous people in all the land of Sodom. God only saved Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. There were only four, and even at that, Lot's wife didn't even make it out okay. She turned back, and she coveted the land, and she turned to a pillar of salt. So out of all the land, who knows, 500,000, a million people, however many, a lot, God only found three people that were righteous in all the land. And so God ended up destroying the city completely to ground. Fire and brimstone coming from heaven, devouring the whole land. And here Jesus says, and you, Capernaum, or exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works have been done in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. So Jesus just said, if the mighty works that I just did among you would have been seen in Sodom, this wicked, perverse, sexually immoral, degradate the society would have been done in you, I wouldn't have destroyed this whole land because they would have repented from what they were doing and turned to me. Wow. Powerful. Jesus says again, verse 24, but I say to you that it will be more tolerable in the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. So to think of how wicked and evil the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were, and still for Jesus to say, it'd be more tolerable for this degradate, wicked, pagan, evil society than for you who think you're my chosen people, who think you got an in with God, who think you're, you've got a relationship with God, who think you're cool with God. It'll be better for them in the day of judgment, that great white throne judgment, than it will be for you. This would have been shocking for, the, for Jesus to tell them this. This would have been shocking to them to hear this. What? 
What? Everybody knew about Sodom. Everybody knew about Gomorrah. Everybody knew that the cities of Tyre and Sidon were wicked and evil, pagan-worshipping cities. These Jews knew that. And for Jesus to compare these Jewish people, supposedly God's chosen people, people, which they are as a whole, still to this day, but for God to compare these people, these evil, wicked, in God's face, wicked, evil people, to say they would receive less of a judgment on the day of judgment than the chosen people of God would have just been shocking. People, what? What? No, there's no way. And we read in the Bible, after Jesus says stuff like this, and it's no wonder why, as we read in the Bible, that many times they wanted to pick up stones and they wanted to stone Jesus. And they even tried to kill Jesus on numerous occasions. Why? Because he said things, he said these shocking things to shock them to life. He said these things, he wanted them to wake up. His whole heart was that I want this people to repent. I want this people to stop living for them and I want them to stop, start believing in me as the Messiah, as the one that came to save them. This is what I want. This is my heart's desire. But we already know the end of the New Testament. We already all know the end of the Gospels. The people got their wish and they got their heart's desire and they got to crucify. They got the Romans to crucify Christ on the cross. So they ended up winning because they never did repent. For the most part, even people, Jewish people to this day, don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Their unbelief, they're still in unbelief, and they still as a whole don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. They're still living in, in an unrepentant life. What a shame. How sad. Now closing. In, the, in Jewish writing, it's very common for if a Jewish writer really wants to make something really powerful, how we would do today, how we would capitalize all the letters. Well, in Jesus' writing, in the way Jesus would have written, in the way the Jews would have written, he didn't, they didn't capitalize all their letters or put explanation points at the end necessarily. They, they said it multiple times. Well, notice Jesus says here, he talks about the day of judgment twice. What is this day of judgment and where is it found? As I alluded to earlier, it's the, it's the day of judgment or it's in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, where it's called the great white throne judgment. And I'm going to read it for you because I want you to hear what the penalty is for Rejecting Jesus, because it's dangerous to reject Jesus. That's the whole title of our sermon today. So Revelation 20, go down to verse 11. Because if Jesus brought it up twice, if Jesus mentioned the day of judgment twice, we ought to look up and say, whoa, now what is this day of judgment? Because certainly i got to know what it is, man, because, wow, doesn't sound very good, because... A lot of bad things are going to be happening there for a lot of people who think that they're right with God even too. So 20, verse 11, the Bible says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, 
from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was no place found for them. So this great, in this great white throne judgment, people were trying to flee and get away. Oh no! There it is! Let's get out of here! But look at what it says. But there was no place found for them because you, you can't hide from God's judgment. Amen. God's judgment is just and it will be on everyone. And you can't hide from it. He said, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the book. I want you to think about that for a moment. We just read about the things that these Jewish people did and were doing against Jesus. Notice, notice, Jesus just said, the Bible just said, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the book. So the things that you do in your life, whether evil or good, whether nice or kind or wicked, will all be written in books that'll be opened at the day that God judges all mankind. Wow! The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Again, God knows everything we've ever done. Guys, he knows everything we've ever done. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Wow. So according to the things done in the flesh, God records them all in a book. And he knows all the things that we've ever done. And they're all written down. And those books will be opened at the great white throne judgment. And this is the one that Jesus is talking about here that he referenced twice. This is a terrible, terrible, terrible Day. As we read a few weeks ago, this is when uh, Elijah will come back before the great and terrible day of the Lord. This is the great and terrible day of the Lord. So obviously, those that are written in the book of life will be going to heaven, and those that are not will be cast into the lake of fire, as Revelation eleven fifteen said. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And the Bible says that wherever you go when you die will be the place that you stay when you're dead forever. If accepting and turning to and believing on the, the Lord Jesus Christ, then heaven will be your end. If not, anything else will be the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. And there's no escape from either one. Once you're there, you're there. That sounds like a terrible time for whoever's there, and even the small and the great, and even the dead, and even the alive, for any of those that aren't written in the book of life. So the danger of rejecting Jesus is that great white throne judgment where God will pour out his wrath on people for their sins. Be the lake of fire. 
Why so harsh a judgment for rejecting Jesus? You say, but Pastor Ed, I'm a good person. You know, I, I'm, I do right with other people. I, I do what's right. You know, I live a good moral life, Pastor Ed. I, you know, I don't go out, I'm not all killing people and stealing and all that. I, I live a pretty good life. The reason it's so bad to reject Jesus is because he was the one to come and to pay for your sins of your life. Somebody, as I said some weeks back, somebody will pay for our sin. It'll either be us or it'll be God. Through the man, through the person of Jesus Christ. Somebody will pay for your sins. You'll either let God do it or you'll pay for your sins and you'll pay for them at the great white throne judgment where if your name's not written in that book of life, You'll be cast with the devil and all his fallen angels into the lake of fire, where the Bible says the worm will never, well, the, the worm will always be, the fire will never be quenched. The worm will never die, and the fire will never be quenched. And Christ came as the only one to ever come to live a sinless life, to keep all the commandments, to be the holy, perfect sacrifice for your sin. Because you can't do it. So the danger of rejecting Jesus is because he was the penalty. He was the payment of your sin on the cross. So if we reject Jesus, we reject his penalty. We reject his payment, excuse me, on the cross for our sins. And then we will have to pay for our sins before God without his payment for them. So it is so important for people to repent of unbelief and believe in Christ as God's Messiah. But unfortunately, rejecting Jesus as the Christ is the not only way to end up in the great white throne judgment and be cast into the lake of fire. We don't just have to not believe in Jesus. We can even believe in Jesus and still be cast into the lake of fire. <gasps> what did you say, Pastor Ed? What did you say? I can't believe you said that. <gasps> you can believe in Jesus and still be cast into the lake of fire? Absolutely. Even if you believe in Him, but you live for yourself, and you live a life of sinfulness, doing the things that God hates, the Bible says that you will be cast into the lake of fire at that judgment. Jesus said, at that judgment, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. For many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There's only one time when God will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And that was at the great white throne judgment. When God judges the living and the dead, the quick and the dead, I think as the King James Version says it. Only one time. You're going to hear, begone from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's not enough to just believe in Jesus Christ. He must be your Lord. 
He can't just be your Savior. He must be your Lord. That means that you live for Him according to the way that He said, you must live for me this way. You can't live for God the way you want to live for God because God's the boss. And God lays down the law. God lays down the rules. We can't break God's rules and laws and live any way we want and still expect God to be happy with our lives. We have to live life according to the way He said to live life if we don't want to reject Jesus. We have to obey the things that Jesus Christ said and did. We have to pattern our lives. We have to make a purpose in our heart. I'm not going to live for me anymore. I'm not going to do the things I want to do anymore. I'm going to live the way Christ Jesus told me I ought to live. And that's what it means to escape the lake of fire and the great white throne judgment. That's what it means to not reject Jesus. And then we escape the danger of rejecting Jesus. Are you living for Him today or are you living for yourself? If somebody followed you around in your everyday life, would they really see that you live a life that shows that I love Jesus Christ by the way I live? According to the Word of God. Not just because, well, I'm I'm a good moral person. Would they be able to tell that you're a Christian by the way that you live? Would they be able to tell... I follow Christ by the way I live. Or would they say, I live for myself. I exhort you today to examine yourself against the teachings and the life of Christ. Look into His perfect Word and say to yourself, Am I living like Jesus Christ lived? Am I working that way toward doing the things that he told me to do? Or am I just doing my life and living my life for myself? It all comes down to, is Jesus Christ your Lord? Or is he just one of your beliefs? Because we will all stand at the great white throne judgment. And only those that are written in the book of life will be the ones that will not be cast into the lake of fire. So examine yourself today, please, in the light of Scripture, and test yourself. Am I of the faith? Am I really someone that follows Christ Jesus? Or am I not? If you're not, and you're sitting there going, I'm not, I'm just not, I, 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 li- I do, I live for myself. I'm not really a Christian, I don't really follow Christ. Then Jesus said that today, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation for you. Today is the day that you can turn to God, and you can say you're sorry and apologize to Him because you're sinning against Him. And you can repent of that evil that you're doing in your life. You can repent of your rejection of Jesus Christ and you can turn and you can start to follow Him today. You can make a purpose in your heart and say, no more for me, I'm going to follow Jesus. And you can do it right now. 
You can fall on your face and you can repent of your sins before God and you can tell him you're sorry and you can turn him with all your heart and you can be saved. Or you can keep living for yourself. And when the day comes and you stand before the great white throne judgment and God judges you and your name's not written in the book of life, you'll be cast into the lake of fire and you'll get the reward for a life of rejecting Jesus just like these people did here that Jesus referenced today. The peoples of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. God loves everybody, but we must turn to Him. We can't live for ourselves. We must put our faith and our trust in Him. And we must live for Him and not for ourselves anymore. And this is the will of God. Let's pray. Dear God Almighty in heaven, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much, Lord God, for these shocking words that you gave, these people that we get to glean from, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord God, that you told us these awesome and powerful words that we could see even our error if that's us. And stop living for ourselves and live for Jesus Christ. I pray, dear God, right now, for those out there listening, if they're not yours, they would realize the danger of rejecting Jesus, and they would turn to you right now. And I pray that you would heal them of their sin and bring them unto yourself. I pray, dear God, for any that have done that already that are sitting here or listening right now. Thank you, God, for us. And I pray, dear God, that we would fight the good fight of faith and that we would run the race unto endurance, Lord God. We would run with endurance the race set before us, Lord God, excuse me. And that we would continue to die to this rotten flesh, this dead man that we live in here now. And we would continue to put our trust in you and we continue to follow you and we continue to show you that we love you by our lives. I love you, Lord, and I praise you. I just pray that you'd get this message to the whole world, Lord God, and you'd touch people's hearts with it, Lord, and that they'd realize that they're not right with you and come and repent in sackcloth and ashes, Lord, even still today we can do that, and, and come to you and surrender to Christ Jesus. I love you and I praise you, dear God, and I ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior. Amen. We would like to thank everyone who has joined us today to listen to Pastor Ed Spagnoli bring us more biblical truth as he preaches verse by verse through the Bible. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged to respond to the word of the Lord today as one life will soon be passed and only what is done for Jesus Christ will last. If you would like to support this ministry or contact us for prayer or for any reason at all, please visit gospelsavingchurch.com and enjoy our beautiful new website and click on the appropriate links. God bless you.